This week on Maroon and Bold, we discussed the women's basketball team and what could be next for them after losing two key stars. We also touch on the Central Michigan football team as spring practice has been underway for two weeks. Hello and welcome in everybody to Maroon and Bold. My name is Evan Petzl. Alongside with me is staff reporter Ben Zeitler. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing good. It's March Madness season. Can't get better than that. Hey, but not March Madness season for the women's basketball team anymore. And that that's kind of the thing that we're going to you know kick off and, and kind of jump into. I know as far as March Madness in general goes, yes, it's still in full-fledged. I mean, we are still going, uh, going strong. But here at Central Michigan, not so much. And I think... You know, when you look at what happened with the men's team, you know, going to play um, in their postseason tournament, losing in the first round to DePaul, and then the women's team making the NCAA tournament, as people kind of expected them to do from the beginning of the season, they still fell short in the first round against Michigan State, 88-87. I was there for it. Ben, I know you were kind of paying attention a, a little right. bit. And, you know, you really look at a Michigan State team that, you know, may maybe they didn't out-talent CMU, but they definitely outplayed them in the post. I mean, you, you look at a, a player like Jenna Allen, all right, she only had 10 points and five rebounds, but it's just that present presence alone inside that I think really boosted Michigan State. And, and I mean, Ben, from, from your perspective too, I mean, how much can just having a, a forward slash center, you know, as a as a 6'3", 6'4", center in women's basketball, I mean, that, that can disrupt you, especially when you have a player like Jahari Smith as a freshman starting against, you know, a senior in Jenna Allen who's been doing this so many times. I mean, just how, how big of a deal was that not to be able to have that dominance in the post oh i'd say that was a huge deal you've got a combination of experience and with size on ellen's part um which jahari smith smith couldn't bring to the table uh with being just a freshman i think just the leadership capabilities that ellen was able to bring forth for michigan state while she didn't have the best night with points mm -hmm. uh, or in statistical categories um that leadership was able to pull the spartans through yeah no, i think one thing you saw there was down the stretch you know presley hudson you know, she banged home a three, and then on the other end, it was just Shay Colley. I mean, she she took her she took her defender. It was a mismatch. She had Kira Bustle on her. She drove right and was able to get past Bustle. Obviously, you know, you know Bustle being a forward, right. Colley being a guard, and she was able to to just kind of get that get that edge on her almost. You know, and she was able to to cut that corner just tight enough that she was able to get you know her body in front of Bustles and went up for the layup and kind of did an up and under as, as Presley Hudson tried to come over and help and mm. scored the winning layup on the other end. CMU, their last opportunity was a three-pointer from Michaela Kelly. Wasn't able to get it to go. And, and I guess, you know, there, there's no real reason to loom on what was or what could have been from this team this this season. I mean, they, they finished 25-8 and eight overall. In the conference schedule, they were 15-3. and three. I mean, it was a good, it was a good season. It was a great season. I mean, I, I, I think, I think any yeah. mid-major team would take this kind of a season and say this was amazing. But for Sugavara, it's a little bit of a letdown, right? Because you, you go to the NCAA tournament last year, you make a run to the Sweet 16. This season in the non-conference, you beat some big teams. You lose to Louisville by four. You feel like you've kind of got the momentum to at least win one of those. You know that that first round game in the NCAA tournament, weren't able to get it done. And like I said, I know. Any mid-major team would probably say this was a very, very successful season. Sugavara back to the drawing board, though, and I think the, the, the really the biggest thing is how do you replace? And, and I mean, is it even really possible to replace them, or do you have to just fill the gaps? You know, when you talk about Presley Hudson and Raina Frost, Raina Frost being the Mid-American Conference Most Valuable Player this year, Presley Hudson being a first-team member, uh, fin finished you know just a few spots behind Frost in the the, the MAC Player of the Year award race. They're honestly the two of the most dominant players 
in the conference. And I think Raina Frost is one of the most dominant players in college basketball. And I don't think Presley Hudson's that too far behind when she's on her game. How do you replace it? I mean, I know, I know you talked to Molly Davis. I know, you know, you know, some of the recruits that they're bringing in. I mean, who kind of, who are they and, and what could they possibly bring to this team? And how soon can we expect an impact? Right. I don't think you can expect to replace mm-hmm. players like Presley Hudson and Raina Frost, but they do have a couple uh, incoming freshmen. Uh, first of all, as you mentioned, Molly Davis, she's from my former high school. Um, and she's a guard there, five foot six, five foot seven guard, who has really been electrifying these past two seasons, especially for the Chargers. And uh, she's going to bring a lot of maybe not leadership right away, but she brings a drive that is comparable, I would say, to Presley as well. Um, she definitely needs some growth um, to adjust to the collegiate level, but there's definitely a lot of potential there. And then uh, again with Raina Frost irreplaceable as you mentioned best player in the conference I would say hands down Um, but to replace her you look at players that are already uh, in the program but then there's also a player um, I want to make sure I get the name right Shine Strickland Gills you got it yep on the money from Heritage High School who actually just won the uh, MHSAA state championship for class or for division Mm -hmm. one she was I would say the second best player on that team uh, as a post player, and she really had her way when she needed to against a lot of the high school competition. Um, she'll need some work as well going against better and bigger competition. She's not overly big, I think six foot or six foot one in that range, um, but she definitely brings a lot to the table just with effort and grit and just an, a high IQ for basketball. I think one of the things that you look at when you, you take a peek at those two players is you know you see somebody in Molly Davis, right, that could be, mm-hmm. and that's the key word, right? That's the two two key words. Could be, right? You see Molly Davis as a, a could be Presley Hudson, Shrine Strickland Gills. Could be a Raina Frost. I mean, Raina Frost is only six six. I mean, she was only sorry, she was only six <laughs> foot. I mean, that it's it's almost like a similar comparison when you look at how short Molly Davis is and just you know the way that she plays her game, and then you look at the way that you know Strickland Gills plays her game and in her size in comparison to Frost, and you kind of see a resemblance. But I think kind of the 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 thing is. How soon is that going to happen? You know, how soon is that transition from high school ball to Division One college ball playing against teams like Louisville, like Michigan State, LSU, Ohio State, Miami, Quinnipiac? I mean, I mean, how how soon can you make that transition? I think that's key. But I mean, as far as next year and going into it, Michaela Kelly's your player Definitely. at guard. I mean, she it's, she's going to have to step up, and I think that's something that she's talked about a lot. Was just the fact that she felt so slept on for the past couple of years just because of the fact that you did have players like Tanara Moore and Cassie Breen and, and Raina Frost and Presley Hudson. I think this is her time to step up. I think Kira Bustle, you look at her as a player who didn't play much two seasons ago, and now this past season she she was on the floor more than Jahari Smith was, who was the starter inside for, for the Chippewas. But Bustle played more minutes. I think she's really developed her ability to stretch the floor and she can step out and knock down that three shot three pointer. I think she's more confident in that way. I think Maddie waters too. I mean, I mean, she kind of sat behind Presley Hudson and almost kind of seemed hesitant at times to shoot the ball. And I think she's a player that could easily emerge just, you know, being told, Hey, this team's got to be on your back. I mean, do you think that sometimes that can kind of play into a, a, a player's advantage almost knowing that, okay, now the expectation isn't for me to be a role player. It's to be a star. I mean, I, I have to step up. You think maybe they take advantage of that more or, or maybe not? Yes, definitely. There's always a hesitation when you've got players like Presley Hudson, Raina Frost mm-hmm. that are 
scoring 20-plus points again, and the, the weight is on their shoulders to go out and win games. But uh, going into next year, you, like you said, Michaela Kelly, uh, Matty Waters, other players down in the post, such as Jahari Smith and um, and Kira Bustle. And yeah. Kira Bustle, yeah. Um, they'll have to step up just and seeing as the expectations now on them, they don't have those two scores uh, with Frost and um, and Hudson that they can just rely on. It's going to be up to them to do it because those points aren't going to come from anybody else. Yeah, I think that's definitely interesting. And you look at players off the bench, you know, as far as freshmen from this past year that, you know, might be able to contribute. I mean, Anika Weeks, she's one of the players that you saw down the stretch a couple times at the end of this season. I mean, Sue kind of went to her as a, you know, a, a defensive trust in a way um, in certain situations. I think that she has the ability to end up being a, a really good player here. I think another one is Sam Robinson. Um, not not sure why. Haven't asked the question yet, but she wasn't with the team for the MAC tournament or for the NCAA tournament. Don't know why that was the case, but I think that, you know, as long as her status is still, you know, good as far as the team goes, I think she could be a player that steps up. She, she has the Reign of Frost type build doesn't have the dog yet. And that's what, that's what uh, Osu Guevara talks about all the time is, you know, how do we find the dog in these players? You know, Reina, it took her a year. Well, not really a year. It took her about half a season to find that dog right. as a freshman. You know, Presley Hudson, she had it immediately. Some players, it comes naturally. Kira Bustle didn't have that dog, you know, two, two seasons ago. This last season, she found the dog. And, and now it's just all about exploiting that you know, in a, in a greater purpose. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to is, is how soon can these freshmen, you know, Amari Bell being another one, you know, that, that it could be a, a solid post player for CMU. When does that grit come out? And I think that's kind of what, what it comes down to. And I think that that's really going to define how good this team can end up being this next season after losing the players that they had. It's not really about having two dynamic scores anymore. It's about having Michaela Kelly and Maddie Waters and Kira Bustle. And then, okay, who around them is going to step up? You have to go deep into your bench. You have to find more. And I think that's just what you have to do. Yeah, I would definitely say that they're going to have to reach farther into their bench and um, just kind of go with what they have this season and the new people coming in with your Molly Davis and your Shine Strickland Gills and your other recruits that are coming in uh, simply because you have to. Uh, um, you have to bring in your new talent, excuse me, uh, develop it, and that may take half a season, as you mentioned, with like a Kira Bustle mm-hmm. or or a Raina Frost in her when, season yeah. in her first season. But I think that as they transition to the level play at collegiate, the collegiate level, um, they'll be able to develop into um, players that you can rely on. Well, we talked about some new players that might be coming your way for the women's basketball team, but all right. Everyone's talking about it because it's spring. Okay, when, when spring rolls around, it means March Madness, it means baseball season, and it means spring football. Now, CMU baseball off to a good start right now. They, they've been pretty solid as of late. Uh, the softball team just recently lost to you know, a, a top-ranked team in Michigan, but we'll get to that you know, maybe next week. Right now, spring football, though. You mentioned some new, you know, new comings for women's basketball. We talked about that, but... I mean, some guys that are coming in for the Chippewa football program that, that you got to look to. I mean, just to kind of give a breakdown of what we expect, you got some quarterbacks coming in that, that make things pretty interesting. Last year, Tommy Lazaro was, was kind of your clear-cut guy. You know, you saw, you saw Tony Polgen start, and, and, you know, he's not a quarterback. He, he's been moved to tight end since then, and that, that kind of was a given um, a couple games in. Tommy Lazaro took over, got injured against Western Michigan, wasn't able to finish out the season. They went to... 
they went to Austin Harrogate, the the third string quarterback, and then also to the fourth string quarterback, George Pearson, um, you know, there in the last couple of games. But that was the main concern, right, was the quarterback play and, and who are you going to bring in? And, and they, they hired Jim McElwain, and he, he came through, and he brought in Quentin Dormandy, a uh, grad transfer from Houston, actually a rare double grad transfer from Tennessee, then to Houston, now to CMU. So it, it's an interesting little uh, little journey there for him. And also brought in a more of a dual threat quarterback in David Moore coming from Garden City Community College, a, a JUCO kid. He actually, believe it or not, was at Memphis for two years, went to a JUCO, and then now coming back here. And, and at Memphis, while he didn't play a lot, his role was to air it out. And he went to a JUCO where they kind of just ran a running offense. Like that's just what they did. And he never had the chance to really air it out there. And he he's excited to get back to that. So I think, you know, you look at those two quarterbacks along with Lazaro in there, just because he has, you know, the leadership in the locker room from what he was able to do last season and the way that he was able to step up. But yeah, I mean, some fresh faces. And I think, you know, Ben, my question for you is, you know, you look at a guy like David Moore and you look at a guy like Quentin Dormandy, and then you look at Lazaro, Quentin Dormandy doesn't run a lot. And I think that's kind of the big, the big thing is he doesn't run a lot. Tommy Lazaro does. Dormandy's more accurate. Lazaro's not as accurate. Lazaro knows the locker room. Dormandy doesn't as well. And though that's kind of the main quarterback battle, right? Is Lazaro Dormandy. And they each have their positives and their negatives. I mean, what would you rather have, you know, with this offense and with this team? Would you rather have a quarterback like Lazaro who can get out of the pocket and scramble for 10 yards every once in a while, but maybe not throw as accurately? Or would you rather have Dormandy who can sit back there, avoid pressure, you know, really well and throw more accurately? I mean, what kind of thing would you look for, you think, if you were if you were McElwain? Let's put, let's put you in McElwain's shoes right now. Well, first of all, I'd say if I'm in McElwain's shoes, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to have this variety of quarterbacks mm-hmm. to choose from. I mean, you've got different skill sets from each of those players, as you mentioned. Um, if I'm him as well, I would say that uh, you look at Lazaro, his ability to come off the bench last year as something that you might want to look into maybe if you see talent emerge in Norm or in Dormandy, mm-hmm. um, having played at um, Tennessee and Houston, Houston, or at least been on the rosters. Um, I would say if the tie is there, then I would go with Dormandy really, and then kind of let it play out from there, maybe in the first couple of games. That being said, if you're not getting getting the results that you want from Dormandy, you make that switch to Lazaro, and then within the first two games of the season, I th- think you have to decide. You got to stick and, with and, it. And stick with it. Yeah. That was one of the big issues last year was the inability to decide on a quarterback and really ride it out throughout the season with that. Yeah, and I think, too, when you look at a guy like Quentin Dormandy, I mean, he started a handful of games at Tennessee before he got injured, went to Houston, and, and you know had that red shirt at Houston where he kind of took some time to recover from that injury at Tennessee. So he, that's why he was able to do the, you know, the double grad transfer. But I think you take the guy that's played in the SEC. You know, you have a guy that's played there. I take him all day. I mean, why, why not? Why wouldn't you? You have Tommy Lazaro who didn't play his first Division One football game until last season, you know, three weeks in. You have a guy like Dormandy who's, he's been around the block. I mean, the guy's already married, all right? <laughs> so he's, he's, clearly, he's clearly made leaps and bounds as far as, you know, personal, you know, you know, the individual and the career um, aspirations. I mean, he's been around the block. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants. I think that's kind of the main thing. And if you, you need a guy for one year to, to prep a David Moore, to prep a Daniel Richardson coming in as a freshman from Miami Carroll City High School, I think you take your chances there and you go with your vet. But ultimately, you know, we saw it last year too. It kind of came down to the run game and it came down 
to the offensive line. And, and Jonathan Ward was nearly non-existent. I mean, he was non-existent. He had one rushing touchdown last year and he got throttled. I mean, he got, he got beat up. He got, he got beat around. And I know some of that has to do with the offensive line. And, and I understand that aspect of it, but you know, before I get into the offensive line, I mean, I guess for Jonathan Ward, and I know you, you, I mean, you play football and you, you understand you played in high school. How big is it for him to have a bounce back year after, you know, having this sophomore, you know, sensation? I mean, he, he was feeling it. He was all over the place, couldn't be stopped. And then as a junior, it's just like, there's nothing, you know, how, how big is it for him to get back to what he used to be? I think it's imperative what they do as a football team. If you're in those third and three situations and you can't run the football, that, that makes you one dimensional team and that much easier to stop. And so I would say that if Ward isn't able to get back on his game, what he had sophomore year with almost 1,500 yards all purpose, I would say that this team would be lucky to even come close to a 500 record. I think, too, you know, you look at the fact that, honestly, like what Jonathan Ward had last year on the offensive line was almost like a wet paper bag. Right. I mean, I mean, honestly, though, defensive line, defensive linemen were able to, to bust right through it. I mean, you put a linebacker in the box and let him go. They, mm-hmm. they, they were there. And that offensive line was just so weak. And I think, you know, you, you look at first and foremost, you look at the defensive side of the ball for CMU first and you lose Mike Dana, Sean Bunting, Xavier Crawford, Malik Fountain, Alex Briones, Nathan Brisson fast, Mitch Stanizak. All right. You lose your guys, right? You lose your guys. They're gone. All right. It's over. They're not going to be here. So you don't have that strong defensive line that you have which means the defense might not be as you know tough as it was last year. And the defense was really good, but that means that the offense has to step up. And, and I really do think that that comes down to your offensive line and, and, and what you need. I mean, you know, you got Shakir Carr, Clay Walder, Zach, Alex Nearing, and Joe Kamel. They're out the door, but they have, you know, they still have five offensive linemen with starters experience that remain on the roster. I think, you know, Two of the guys that you got to remember, too, that didn't play last year, Jeraymond Hall coming from Michigan and then uh, Luke Godecki coming from Wisconsin, Stevens Point. Um, Godecki, I mean, don't don't be shocked at the fact that he came from Wisconsin, Stevens Point, and you think he might not be that good. He, he was there as a tight end, and, you know, CMU switched him over to an offensive, uh, offensive tackle, offensive guard, still not sure where he's going to play yet. But then you have a guy like Jeraymond Hall, who we talked about, you know, comes from Michigan as a transfer, kind of got buried on that depth chart. He was a four-star prospect. He was, I mean, he was coveted. And and I guess just with his size and his ability, that's got to be so key. But for Dormandy to have success at quarterback, for Ward to have success as a running back, I mean, how much of it really does come down to just what your offensive line can give you in terms of protection? Well, I can tell you what, having played quarterback in high school, it's not a great sight when you take the snap, take two steps back, and you've got three guys of the opposite jersey coming right in your face. What goes through your mind? What goes through your mind? Crap. (laughs) (laughs) Not a whole lot else besides get rid of the ball or don't get hurt, Yeah, really. I mean, you try your best, but it's there's not a whole lot to work with there. And when you have only a second or two, or if you're running back going through that, through that hole, if there's nothing there, there's not really any production that you can expect to get out of those um, special guys, I would say. Um, simply, you're lucky to get back to the line of scrimmage. You're lucky to get an incompletion. Bad things happen turnovers, uh, plays for negative loss or for negative yards, all of that can occur when you have a, like you said, a wet paper bag for an <laughs> offensive line. I think another thing too is you have a guy in, in Jake Dominguez coming from Foothill College, Juco. Um, he made the move to CMU, announced his transfer. On, the tw- on January 24th, his papers were official on February 6th. 
he's a guy that has above average footwork, solid hand placement. I mean, balance on the offensive line. He's someone that you can trust. He's reliable. I mean, I know it was only a Juco, but in the 2018 season, he didn't allow a single sack. So where does he fit into that mold? I mean, you have, you have some guys that can play on that line. Where does Dominguez fit in? Um, but I mean, honestly though, when you, when you look at it, right tackle, left tackle, they're huge. And you have, you know, a handful of guys in, in Derek Smith, Nick Fulmer, uh, Draymond Hall, Luca Decky, and and then obviously Jake Dominguez. I mean, you have five solid early options for that right and left tackle position that obviously they're so key. I think one more thing, you know, we got we want to touch on, and obviously we'll talk a little bit of spring football as the weeks go on, just to kind of keep you guys in the loop about different positions. But one last position I wanted to get into. All right, so you have Sean Bunting and Xavier Crawford. I know we saw them at pro day, and they're they're obviously gone, looking to to go to the NFL. Bunting. Um, some are even now saying that he's a top 40 overall draft pick. So people are saying that he is continuing to move up the boards. Crawford looking at the sixth, seventh round. Good for them. But how do you replace them? I mean, as a, as a defensive back, I mean, what do you really need to have in order to, to step up? I mean, just besides obviously that grit and the determination and all, all that stuff, what, what are some of the ball skills that you just have to have? Uh, you just got to be able to have quick feet and be able to ra- mm-hmm. react w- as soon as you see what direction that play is going, uh, and also staying key to what your what your I guess for lack of a better what your keys are. Uh, you're looking make sure that ball is right in the stomach of that running back before you come up on that run or you're burnt deep. The same goes with keep you can't have your eyes in the backfield for too long either because you're going to get burnt deep as well. Um, I, I I think that in order to stay strong in that secondary, they're going to have to find new guys at those key spots because without having corners or a strong safety that you can rely on time and time again, you're not going to be able to do anything with your fronts either and be able to attack the quarterback and um, get after those the opposings, opposing team's offensive line. I think it's nice, too, that they have guys coming in that you know did play a good amount of time in, in backup roles. I mean, they, they had a guy... You know, Devonnie Reed, he broke onto the scene, you know, in a noticeable way last year. And um, it was in the season opener against Kentucky, actually. It was a fourth fumble. He picked it up for a scoop and score and went, went 20 yards. Um, and that was kind of to open things up. And that was kind of the, the tone that CMU might be good this year because they were about to, you know, give Kentucky a test. Didn't turn out that way. But still, I mean, he was second on the team in tackles with 97 on the season. Um, 62 of them were solo. I, I really think that Devonnie Reed can be a big player. I think the leader in this room now is uh, senior Daquan, J- Daquan Jameson. He's a guy that, you know, you've seen it time and time again. I mean, he, he helps him out a lot defensively. I think his, his journey was kind of interesting as he was a gray shirt in 2014, red shirt in 2015. And then, um, you know, he didn't see game action in 2016 and he played his first game as a chip in 2017. And then he kind of broke out finally in 2018 with, you know, 41 tackle, which was six on the team, six on the team. But being a senior now, this is his room to take care of. He's been here long enough. I think other names you got to look towards, Alonzo McCoy, Brandon Brown, um, another guy, Gage Kreske. I think he's a sleeper, um, you know, in, in the defensive back room. I think he can do some damage. Darius Bracey is another one um, who, you know, he saw game action for the Chippewas in, in 11 games. He only had one tackle, limited minutes, but he was back there, you know, in, in the end of in the end of games. Um yeah, I mean, I, I truly think that they might be able to to replace it, but it's not going to be easy, right? I mean, it, no, nothing comes easy when you lose, you know, your two best players, and it just so happens that they're both very likely to get drafted in the NFL. I mean, that's rare for for your best two players at that position to leave. Um, but honestly, I just got to ask you, and kind of the final question is, 
I know we haven't gotten into too many details. I know we haven't had a chance to talk to McIlwain yet besides his introductory press conference. But from what you saw last year, even from just watching the stands and and from hearing, you know, me talk about it from, you know, you looking, you know, a couple things up. I mean, what's going to define a successful season for them this, this year going one and 11, what makes this season a successful season for Jim McIlwain in his first year? I, well, I really think that what brought the Chippewas down last year was indecision and a lack of determination to just get over that hump and win those close games that they had. I believe it was Ball State. They lose by one point. Mm-hmm. You just, those are the games that you got to gut out and find a way to get that extra field goal in or that extra uh, that extra stop on third down. And so I, I, what I'd like to see from the Chippewas this year is an ability to just make smart decisions and commit to them um, be it offensively with filling a hole or um, or defensively, I should say, filling a hole or offensively getting that pull block or um, getting that backside that backside block from wide receiver that springs a guy for a touchdown. Just those small things that turn a, a, a mediocre play, a, a your run-of-the-mill game, into, mm-hmm. um, into something that really is a game-changer. Well, spring game, April 13th. First game of the season, August 29th against Albany here in Mount Pleasant. But sadly, that's it for us today. So we talked a little bit of women's basketball, talked some football. We'll be back at you next week. Talk a little bit more here on Maroon and Bold. For me, I'm Evan with Ben. Thanks a ton.